It's quite clear that you've got no idea what you've gotten yourself into. But this Friday on SmackDown, you'll know. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Y2J Chris Jericho. I cannot believe it's been 30 years. Shouts out to whom, in my opinion, is the actual goat of professional wrestling, Chris Jericho. And welcome to Babblemania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. We keep it raw. We have the power. We bring the dynamite. And if you disagree, you just may make the list. No, I'm just kidding. You might feel the smackdown. Anyways, let's get hairy. Ah, yes. You know how it goes, ladies and gentlemen. As always, we are kicking things off with Monday Night Raw, the October 5th edition of Monday Night Raw. A very, very stacked episode. It just seems like, I don't know, it's weird. I used to complain about Monday Night Raw being three hours. It used to, like, leave me feeling defeated for some reason like man they could they could cut an hour out of this and like it would be totally justified but i don't know ever since the whole quarantine era has started and now with the introduction of thunderdome raw has just been killing it like i am fully invested for three hours now i will say that this episode was kind of i don't know raw's been consistently great for a while now but this was a decent episode in comparison to previous episodes of Monday Night Raw. Uh, we open with a almost maniacal promo from Randy Orton, basically describing every single attack on each individual legend that he wiped out last week. You know, last week I talked about Randy's new janitor gimmick <laughs> and how I really wanted it to be a thing uh, this week. Randy opens up the program, basically painting the picture that we did not get to see. Because, you know, last week he turned the lights off, he had night vision goggles on, and he laid waste to everybody. And this week he painted us that picture that we didn't get to see. I thought it was very chilling. He sounded very hateful. I thought it was very, very good. Um, I still do not want to see Randy Orton beat Drew McIntyre to become the new WWE champion. Um, there's a part of me that thinks it's going to happen at their next encounter, but this incident, this whole Randy disguising himself as a janitor, breaking into the Legends Lounge, laying waste to everybody, and then cutting this very smart heel promo, in my opinion, it's really made me okay with this feud being furthered. I don't want it to end with Randy getting the title, but this has you know, thrown some new life into the feud between Drew and Randy. I, I I thought it was going to be over, but apparently it's not. And this I'm very okay with. Now, Drew, after the promo is over, breaks into the room that Randy is in and basically beats him up. And it's super duper intense. The lights are on. We get to see it. He didn't dress up like a janitor. Uh, in my opinion, this was the opening segment and... Raw's been doing this very fluid-based, episodic thing here lately, so in my opinion, this this is how the episode is going to go. This episode is going to revolve around Drew and Randy once again throughout the night. 
and we will see if that was the case. We move on to some six-man tag team action. We had Mandy Rose, Asuka, and Dana Brooke against Zelina Vega, Lana, and Natalia. Now, I got to be completely honest. This felt very thrown together. It just did to me. I am, I'm still not a fan of Lana and Natty as a team. Um, it's just because, like, Natalia has been in the business for so long, and she has done almost nothing. And I hate to say that because it's it's disrespectful and it's a little assholeish, <laughs> but like, it always seems that every single time Natalia is about to like get there they biff it up somehow. And, like, she's she's constantly switching between face and heel. You know, like, one week, she's, oh, this is my best friend, we're best friends, and we hate everyone. And then a month later, she's like, oh, this is my best friend, she's my best friend, and we love everyone. And it just, it gets on my nerves. And poor Lana, you know, she's always had potential, but she's always just kind of floated throughout the company. I just, I still can't understand them as a team. I also don't understand Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke being a team. And the reason this bothers me is because this is this is four different women that instead of tying them up as teams, you could build them as singles competitors. For the past few weeks here on Babelmania, I've talked about Monday Night Raw specifically needing single female competitors to build stories and to fight for championships. And when they have that opportunity, it just seems like they throw it away by putting them in weird random tag teams that don't make sense. This was good for them because they had a chance in the spotlight, and that's something that I can get behind. But it's just there's so much potential for singles competitors, and I don't understand why they keep making these teams that make no sense. The good thing about this whole six-man tag was that Mandy got the win, so her XP gets bumped up. That's really good. Afterwards, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler came out and for the third time put Lana through the announce table. That is three weeks in a row that Lana has been slammed through the announce table <laughs> by Nia Jax. And like at this point, it just it feels like it's punishment for what Rusev has done. <laughs> it's, it's getting a little unnecessary. I don't know if I'm behind it. I really hope that something happens soon to where specifically Mandy Rose and maybe Natalia. Because here's the thing. I want Natalia to do well in the company because of how long she's been there and how little she's earned. It just it really makes me upset. I'd like to see Lana go somewhere just for the sake that she could maybe, you know, she doesn't need Rusev. You know what I'm saying? Because she basically rode the coattails of him. She was... His, his manager, per se, and now that he's left the company, I feel like she's being thrown underneath the bus, and it just feels wrong, but I'd really like for them to be like, well, prove to us what you can do, and then she does a great job. Um, Mandy, in my opinion, out of this whole equation, is the superstar that's going to go big, big places, um, but I don't think her being in a random tag team that makes no sense with Dana Brooke is going to do that. Um, however, I digress, and we move on to the most talked about and probably the most interesting thing for me from Monday Night Raw, which is the continuing story of the Monday Night Messiah and the Mysterio complex. Um, essentially, 
Seth Rollins and Murphy, they make their way to the ring for a tag team match between them and Dominic and Umberto. Well, Murphy finally tells Seth how he feels a little bit, you know. Just, he, he doesn't go completely off, but he says, hey, I want you to apologize to Aaliyah. Well, Seth snaps and brings up Aaliyah's personal feelings. He, he tells Murphy, like, I could have shown more messages. I could have shown the messages where she said she feels like the outcast of her family. She feels like Dominic's the favorite child. And I really like that because it seems to me with Seth saying that, that they are steering away from this Romeo and Juliet situation that a lot of us probably thought was going to happen, uh, which, as I explained last week, would have been really creepy and weird because Aaliyah's age and Murphy's age. So that makes me kind of stoked. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, it, it also makes a lot of sense for him to say, hey, you know, she feels like she's left out of the Mysterio family. So I could have brought that up. I cut you some slack. And a pretty much, uh, whoa, brain fart. Don't know what just happened. Anyways, after that, the tag team match starts. And I got to be honest with you guys. Dominic and Umberto are like magic together. Very, very good tag team. Uh, Umberto seemed like extra intense this evening. And I really, really liked it. I cannot wait for the day that he finds his way because he is so good in the ring. It is, it's almost painful that he doesn't get to do anything crazy. But I'm really glad that they've aligned him with Dominic, and maybe it'll do something for his career. Um, what was crazy about this match was the fact that Murphy and Seth argued the entire time. The whole match, Seth kept stifling Murphy, and Murphy kept trying to, like, get Seth to let him do things, and he wouldn't let it happen. And I thought that that was going to lead to a loss from, for them, um, but it didn't. It actually ended up quite the opposite. Murphy ended up getting the win with a crazy knee on Umberto. Umberto jumped off the top rope towards Murphy, and Murphy just jumped up and hit him with this knee, and it was gnarly. Murphy gets the win, and the way I feel about it is like this. I wish that they would have lost for the sake of their differences, but the fact that Murphy got the win, in my opinion, is justified because it makes him look better because he's the one who got the win for the team. So the plot thickens and the falling out has officially gone two steps forward. We move on to Kevin Owens, who this past Friday on SmackDown had a spooky encounter with The Fiend. Here he doesn't seem changed by The Fiend, which I think is kind of, uh, I don't know, disappointing. Because they always, it's what they talk about the most right now when it comes to Bray Wyatt's character and The Fiend character itself. Everyone who comes in contact with The Fiend changes in some way or form. And I know this just begun with Kevin Owens, but he doesn't really seem changed. He does seem very uneasy, which I think is very nice. Maybe they're easing us into the idea of Kevin being changed by The Fiend, but... Tonight, you know, there's an episode of the KO show, and Bray is supposed to be his guest, but instead, we get an episode of Firefly Funhouse on Raw, Let's Freaking Go. Basically, he sings this cute, <laughs> offbeat song about friendship, and Kevin Owens just says, hey, we're not friends, and that's when Bray's demeanor changes, and he basically says, hey, 
Uh, you got yourself into a bad situation, Kevin, and your fate is in his hands on Friday, and you are not prepared for this, and you should have just stayed out of it, and you should have just stayed out of all of our business, and I think it's great. He looked very menacing. Uh, afterwards, Kevin pretty much says, I'm going to come find you and punch your face in, and as he goes towards the back, he gets laid out by Alistair Black. So we get like two different storylines being furthered because I don't know where this Kevin and Bray slash The Fiend thing is going to go. I also don't know how long Alistair Black and Kevin can keep going at it. I'm really, I'm telling you, I am hoping that The Fiend changes Kevin and him and Alistair Black become some like random tag team. I don't know why I want that. I've been talking so much shit about random tag teams being thrown together for the past few weeks, yet here I am wanting Kevin and Alistair to become something. Anyways, we move on to, in my opinion, probably the worst thing about this episode of Monday Night Raw, and that was Braun Strowman and Keith Lee. Now, Braun Strowman and Keith Lee as a potential feud, incredible. Everything about this segment was not bad, but I absolutely hated the way that they set it up. So, Braun Strowman pretty much told Adam Pearce, hey, I got to get into some action. Like, these hands are itching to punch someone in the mouth. And he said, okay, I'll give you an exhibition match, which made me feel really confused. And then Braun walked off, and Keith Lee walked into camera view, and he was just drinking his water, and Adam Pearce was like, hey, do you want to do that? And Keith Lee was like, yeah, I got you. And then it was set. An exhibition match between Braun Strowman and Keith Lee for this episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, they explained what this exhibition match meant. They said, this is an exhibition match, which means it does not count towards either person's win or loss record. Now, here's my problem. First of all, when has win-loss records in WWE meant anything? They don't keep up with it. They don't tell us people's win-loss records. They don't do that shit. So, like, why does that matter? Secondly telling us that this is an exhibition match where wins and losses do not matter makes me think that Keith Lee's going to lose to Braun Strowman so Braun Strowman can look good, but Keith Lee doesn't look bad because it doesn't matter anyways. It was all a big mess. It shouldn't have happened. It didn't make sense. It made it even worse because the match went on for like six or seven minutes and then they were both counted out and it was super aggravating. Now, Everything before the announcement of the exhibition match, great. And then you had the announcement of the exhibition match, both man's entrances, entrances, and then the match itself, which was terrible. After the match was over, it went back to being great because Braun and Keith pretty much got into this big brawl, and it ended up with Keith Lee making Braun Strowman just his bitch. He threw him around, they went off the stage, he threw him into the Titantron, stuff like that. Now... This is an example of a potential great segment ruined by a pointless scenario. If this is the beginning of the feud, there is major potential. And in my opinion, it has to end in Keith Lee's favor because he's the newest kid on the block. They got to keep making him look good. But also, what about Braun? Like Braun was literally universal champion like not even a month and a half ago. And you're just going to throw him into a feud with someone that really needs to be built and really needs to look strong doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. 
I think they could have a banger of a match, but this whole segment could have gone without the exhibition match because that just made it feel really phony and very, very odd to me. Uh, we move on to Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin versus Apollo Crews and Ricochet in a tag team match. Uh, once again, it felt pointless because what the fuck has happened to Retribution? Like, this match starts... The last time we saw Retribution, it was them and Hurt Business butting heads, and now, for some reason, they're making us go... They're making me go crazy <laughs> because Retribution is supposed to be the thing right now. Retribution is supposed to be Hurt Business's number one enemy. Where are they then? Why are we getting this match that we've seen over and over and over again? Like, oh, it just makes me so upset. You're just going to talk about retribution rather than having something happen because they talk about it. Oh, there's retribution. Yeah, we're talking about retribution right now. But like, ooh, it, it got on my nerves. It was not as bad as the Braun Strowman and Keith Lee exhibition match, but it did make me like, like stand up and go, where is retribution? Because they're supposed to be important. They're supposed to be talking about retribution and hurt business and furthering that, I don't know, got me really, really upset and in my brain too much uh we'll go back to it okay trust me trust me on this one now seth and murphy return to the ring because <laughs> seth has demanded that murphy apologize to him and i thought it was really kind of funny and arrogant because in the bottom right hand corner there was like a clock that popped up <laughs> because murphy was supposed to apologize to seth before 10 o'clock p.m and i just thought that was really funny and it just made Seth look like even more of an asshole. So, Seth and Murphy return to the ring so Murphy can apologize to Seth, like he demanded. Seth starts going the heck off while Murphy looks conflicted. Murphy looks like he wants to snap, but something is not allowing him to snap. He just, he looks super conflicted, and then bang, out of nowhere, he snaps and he just starts attacking Seth. Beating the crap out of him, throwing him all over the ring. He ends up with a kendo stick. And he starts hitting Seth with it, begging him to apologize to Aaliyah. That's what he's saying. He's hitting him with his kendo stick, and he says, apologize to Aaliyah. And Seth is like, okay, 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 I'll do it. I'll apologize. And he apologizes. And then weasels his way to beating down Murphy. Amongst the apology, just boom. It was all a lie. It was a facade. He ends up attacking Murphy. I think he ends up getting... Uh, some chair shots in? No, he gets some kendo, some kendo stick shots in and then goes to grab a chair. Well, as he gets back in the ring to attack Murphy with the chair, Aaliyah is in there and she's stopping him. She's like, hey, stop. Don't do this. Just quit. And Seth is standing there like, whoa, okay. What do I do here? And then the Mysterios come out, get into the ring. Seth gets out of the ring, walks to the back, and essentially, what we have left in the ring is Dominic and Ray picking Aaliyah up and saying, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Remember what he did to us? Get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And Murphy is left laying in the ring all by himself while Aaliyah looks frustrated that her family pulled her away. And now, all of a sudden, Ray Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio look kind of like scumbags. Because all Aaliyah was doing was trying to help Murphy. And they're pulling her away from that. Meaning that they don't care about Murphy's well-being. So, are they actually as compassionate 
as they act like they are. And all the while, Seth is in the back watching it on a television, smirking. Honestly, super brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Seth watches them from the back. Murphy's left alone in the ring. Aaliyah looks conflicted. Dominic and Ray look almost controlling. The plot thickens even more. Can't wait to see where it goes. It's weird because like a few weeks ago, I wasn't really excited about Aaliyah being introduced into the story. But now, I'm super interested in it. It's really, really good. Now, we move on to a tag team match. It was the Riot Squad versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. And in my opinion, this was a very good match. This was the best that the Riot Squad has ever looked. It sucks that they continuously, like, lose. But this was a really good showing for them. And hopefully their XP has bumped up a smidge. Because I'd like to see them do something in the future. Uh, Nia and Shayna, though, right now are like the bee's knees. They're dominant they look great they're telling great stories it's it's all working so we'll just have to see where it goes now this is where we this is where the big thing happens okay this is this was for me the craziest moment for monday night raw and this was absolutely banana so earlier in the night as i just talked about a moment ago we had apollo and ricochet versus bobby and shelton well, it was announced earlier on in the night that that was the tag team match that was happening. And then later on in the night after that, we would get a one-on-one match between MVP and Mustafa Ali. Well, basically, it was the furthering of a story that we didn't know until we saw the end of this segment. <sighs> this is crazy. Remember me going off about Retribution a moment ago, because it's about to get real. So, this match happens, and the Hurt Business essentially hops in the ring to attack Mustafa Ali. Mustafa Ali got the upper hand on MVP. MVP rolled out of the ring. Shelton and Bobby were like, bro, it doesn't got to be this way. You ain't got to lose. So they hop in the ring, and they corner Mustafa, and then the lights start to flicker. Okay, they're about to beat him down. The lights start to flicker. They go out. Retribution finally makes their comeback. It's been a couple of weeks. It was super, like, surprising, especially after getting mad earlier in the night. Me going, where the fuck is Retribution, earlier on in the night made this a lot more intense for me because I was like, oh, there they are, finally, let's go. Let's see what happens. Now, Ali goes, oh my gosh, there's a lot of them. I'm with you guys. Stands back-to-back with the Hurt Business. You know, they're getting ready. There's about to be a big old brawl, a big old fight. And then Allie rolls out of the ring, goes to confront T-Bar and Mace, and then just stops. And he turns around, and he looks at the Hurt Business, and then he looks back at T-Bar and Mace, and he goes, get him. And all of Retribution just attacks the Hurt Business, and they just lay them out. All the while... Ali is standing in the ring just looking and smiling and laughing. And then they all gather back into the ring. (laughs) And Ali stands there looking at the camera with retribution behind him. And then he holds up his hand because, you know, he walks down to the ring with that, like, light thing in his palm. He holds up his hand to the camera and then he closes it. And as he closes it, the lights go out. And honestly, insane to me. 
basically Ali just announced that he's the leader of Retribution. He's the one that's been behind this the entire time. And I don't know. I'm just super stoked. I loved it. It was absolutely shocking. I did not think that it was going to happen like that. I'm super stoked for Mustafa Ali. This is a very good look for him. We have not seen him as a heel yet. Uh, I think this is going to be really good for his character. Hopefully this goes well. Um, the The one thing that this left me wondering was, are they ever going to bring up the fact that Ali was the hacker? Now, as you know, from a few months ago, there was this weird hacker thing going on on SmackDown. Uh, he would basically... You know, it was an, it was tied in with the Dolph Ziggler, Sonya Deville, and Mandy Rose situation when Mandy had her date with Otis. Oh, that was back in February. Oh my goodness, that was such a long time ago. But it was the SmackDown hacker, and everybody was like, "What is this? Where's this going? Who is this?" Well, I thought that it was you know just some bullshit that wasn't really going to amount to anything. But I read on the internet that a lot of people assumed that it was going to be Ali, and then it started to make sense to me because of the light that's in his hand. So, maybe they'll tie that in. Now, in my opinion, without it, it still makes sense. It's a win-win situation, because they could easily just act as if the hacker thing never even happened, and this would still be okay and great and make sense. Or, they could say, he was the hacker the whole time, he was the one behind all that stuff, and that must have been how it all started, and they could tie that into this retribution, you know, birthing, and it would also make sense. So, it, regardless, this is a win-win situation for Ollie. Finally, something big and massive happens with retribution. I loved it. I thought it was great. I cannot to see. I cannot wait to see where it goes. And I'm just, I'm super pumped about it. Hopefully, Ollie gets a cool mask. I'd like to see him in a super cool mask. But I hope he doesn't get a stupid name, because if they give him a stupid name, I'm going to be upset about it. We move on to the match to end the night, which was a six-man tag team match. It was Drew McIntyre and the Street Profits versus Randy Orton, Robert Roode, and Dolph Ziggler. Pretty stacked, pretty awesome, very random for some reason, but, you know, I love the Street Profits. They're always great. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode together again makes sense. Um, especially being aligned with Randy Orton. This was all good. Uh, Banging-ass match, to be completely honest. Just, are you surprised? You literally have six, in my opinion, of, like, the best performers in WWE at the moment. A fresh, returning Robert Roode, who proved himself last week in his match with Drew. This match was just destined to be great. It was a really, really great match to close the episode. And, of course... Randy finally gets a pinfall victory on Drew. He ends up hitting Drew with the RKO. He pins him. It was a six sequence. One, two, three. Randy has officially pinned the WWE champion, Drew McIntyre. They made sure to talk about that as the show went off the air. And, man, it might be foreshadowing. It was a great six-man tag team match to end the episode. It was a thesis statement. You know, at the beginning of the night... We had Randy cut his promo just to get attacked by Drew, and Drew got the upper hand. And then you really vaguely heard about it throughout the entire night. And then at the very end, Randy 
gets the last laugh, gets that pin. It was the return of the thesis statement. It was great, awesome storytelling, in my opinion. This episode for me was really about Retribution's shocking moment and Ali's shocking unveiling as the leader of Retribution. But more importantly, it was maybe showing us a glimpse into the future as Randy and Drew goes. Um, I hope that I don't see Randy pin Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. But it's probably going to happen. Um, on the beard scale, this was a pretty good episode of Monday Night Raw. Like I said earlier in the episode, it's been consistently great for a while now. This episode was really, with without Ali being announced as the leader of Retribution, this episode would have been lackluster, in my personal opinion. Um, it wouldn't have been as good as what I've seen from Monday Night Raw, but... It was a pretty good episode. Uh, on the beard scale, I'm going to give it a clean-cut beard that's been in the light for too long. But now, it lives in the darkness. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, when Monday Night Raw goes off the air, we go directly into Wednesday Night Dynamite. This is the October 7th edition of AEW Dynamite, and this was a celebration of 30 years of Jericho. First of all, I will do it someday. I'm probably going to dedicate an entire episode someday to Chris Jericho. Um, in my personal opinion, Chris Jericho is actually the greatest of all time. And I know that that's, you know, because when you ask somebody, who do you think the GOAT is? A lot of people will say Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. I'm not saying that those people are not GOATs, okay? I'm not saying that those people are not incredible, iconic transcending professional wrestlers but for me Chris Jericho is the GOAT he's my personal choice as the greatest of all time and I'll talk about it someday but right now I'm going to talk about this episode of AEW Dynamite the first thing that I want to say is it was a celebration of 30 years of Jericho but it wasn't really a Jericho heavy episode it was uh it was filled with a lot of superstars and famous people that Chris Jericho is friends with you know chiming in with some self-recorded videos like saying, hey, congratulations on 30 years. It was really heartwarming, very nice. Saw some cool faces in there. Shaquille O'Neal, Diamond Dallas Page, Slash. It's just, it's crazy how like, how much of a rock star <laughs> Chris Jericho is because he knows all these people and he does so many different things. But it wasn't really a Jericho-heavy episode. We actually didn't get a good, like, solid Jericho segment until the end of the episode, but we'll talk about that in a little while. Uh... We're going to kick things off with the first match of the night, Will Hobbs versus Brian Cage for the FTW title. I'm actually super stoked to see this championship being fought for on my television in 2020. It's freaking awesome. Shouts out to AEW for that. Uh, Hobbs had a fantastic showing. He's got such big potential to be like an actual mountain of a man, a threat to people in AEW, and I think that they are really invested in him. Uh, this match with Brian Cage was really good. Cage gets the win. Obviously, it's it's his title. I think this did a lot of good things. This made Will Hobbs look great. This made Brian Cage look strong. This added a little bit of necessity to the FTW championship. I thought it was fantastic. Afterwards, Darby comes down to the ring and pretty much furthers his program with the Taz team. Um, I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, I really hope it just culminates in more Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks matches. 
and that's how he gets the last laugh on the Taz team. But we'll probably end up seeing that six-man tag that we were supposed to be given a couple of weeks ago. Um, hopefully that's how it goes. Uh, we move on to Lance Archer coming back. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were supposed to get Lance Archer versus John Moxley for the AEW Championship because, you know, Archer won the Casino Royale, meaning he's the number one contender for it. And then, unfortunately, Lance Archer encountered some COVID-19 problems and basically had to postpone everything. Um, we got a sick video package, though, announcing that he is officially out of lockdown, out of quarantine, and he has returned. It was a sick video package. He cut a great promo, and he announced that he's coming for Mox's title. So we're right back on track, and everything is as it is supposed to be. I'm super stoked about it. We move on to a solid tag team match between the Hybrids and FTR. Um, this was a really, really good tag team match, and I'm not surprised about it. Every single time FTR steps in the ring, they they literally deliver every single match. Even if it's just like a six-minute, quick little match that doesn't really do anything, it always looks good. It always looks clean. It always tells some type of story. The hybrids are very good at what they do. Jack Evans is insane. He's like a video game character come to life. He can do some crazy stuff. I can't wait for the day that they actually get some like major screen time and maybe even a shot at some like AEW tag team titles on like a big stage. Um, but this was a pretty solid match. FTR got the win, obviously. They come out looking like fighting champions. Afterwards, the Young Bucks super kick a random cameraman POV style on the big screen for FTR to see. Very, very strange. Came out of nowhere. Super shocking. The Young Bucks are continuing their super kick anti-party. It's amazing. I love it. Can't wait to see where it goes. After that happens, the best friends come out, and they kind of use this whole backyard comedy wrestlers comment that FTR made about them a week ago, like against FTR. Uh, they come out there, and they're just making fun of FTR. They're calling them weenies. It's very funny. And then they say, next week, we get our shot at your tag team titles. So that's awesome. Can't wait for that. think it's going to be great. Uh, the Best Friends have really done a good job of building their repertoire here lately. You know, after, honestly, after that big match in the parking lot with Santana and Ortiz, they've just been climbing up and up and up and up and up. And I think it's great because I think they're both fantastic. I think Chuck Taylor is super clean and classic in the ring. I think Trent has major potential. I actually think that he could go off on his own and be a great singles competitor. Um... Super stoked for this match. Hopefully it's good. Um, FTR is obviously going to win, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to drop those titles for a very, very long time, especially given the fact that Kenny Omega and Adam Page held them for so long. Um, FTR is probably going to hold these belts forever. But if they can make other teams look good and serious throughout their reign, I think that this is... I think that that's really great. And I think the best friends are 100% going to benefit... Uh, from this match with FTR that we're going to see next week. Now, we move on to the big talk of the town, the big match of the night. Cody versus Brody Lee in a dog collar match for the TNT title. Now, this match was insane. Cannot believe that I saw it on my television 
on a random Wednesday evening. Just absolutely nuts. It was just as painful to watch as it was great to watch. And both men told an incredible story. They painted a super brutal picture. It was just, it was nuts. Uh, both men ended up being covered in blood. They both rocked the, crim- the crimson mask for a little while. Uh, they gave it their all. Cody looked like the type of fighter that like refused to stay down, while Brody looked like a frustrated champion who was literally just trying to hold on to the one thing that he loves the most. It was a classic. It was a hard-fought battle. Crazy spots. Loved it. I've actually never seen a dog collar match before. Uh, so this was like a really good moment for me. It was interesting because it, at first I was like, that sounds stupid. But no, it was it was incredible. Um, Cody comes out on top with a gruesome crossroads. And it's a feel-good moment for Cody because he gets what he wanted back. But personally... I would have liked to have seen Brody hold that title for a little while longer. And I would have liked to see... I would have liked to have seen this match happen on a pay-per-view event. Like, they could have saved this for full gear. You know? They could have had... Because this was a pay-per-view match, in my opinion. This match on pay-per-view with 10 extra minutes and, like, no limits would have been incredible. So I'm I'm not I'm kind of torn. Like it's it's great seeing Cody get what he feels he deserves, but I would have really liked to have seen Brody carry the belt a little bit longer. And I just I don't know. I think this could have happened on a much bigger event, but it is what it is. Um, Cody's post match promo was super emotional, but honestly, I kind of feel personally attacked because he 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 called everybody out who said that he was supposed to be a darker character because his hair was dark now and i was just like oh just freaking at me next time it kind of hurt my soul but it was it was good um he said that next week anybody in the back can face him and out comes orange cassidy so the next challenger for cody's tnt title is orange cassidy and i'm stoked about it because i love orange cassidy but it doesn't make sense to me he already lost to Brody when he faced Brody for the TNT title, so how are we supposed to believe that he can beat Cody? It doesn't make sense. Because, I mean, it's it's basically, it knocks him out. Orange Cassidy versus Brody Lee, he can't win. Cody beat Brody Lee, so how are we supposed to believe that he can beat Cody? Cody Brody, Wody, very confusing. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, we, we go to the back. Kenny Omega in an interview, and essentially it's been announced that there's a, a tournament for number one contender for the AEW championship. Uh, the tournament's going to be ongoing for the next few weeks, and it should culminate in something really big. That's usually the only reason they do this whole tournament situation. Uh, but for me, this was less about the tournament, more about Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. Kenny was throwing backhanded shots at Page, calling him a tag team wrestler. I thought it was really funny and also really arrogant. Um, They're both in the tournament to gain contendership for the AEW title, and that is absolutely 100% where this is going to further. In my opinion, it's not going to be either of them. They're going to make us think that it's going to be one of them, but I don't think it is. I think this is just going to culminate to, like, 
You know what? Actually, now that I've said it out loud, there's no way, dude. This is going to come down to Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. And one of them is going to get number one contendership for the AEW title. And whoever doesn't get it is going to snap and turn heel. 100%. I just realized that. If this happens, mark it down in the history books that I am psychic. But it just it, the plot thickens. I'm excited about it. It's great. Kenny's doing such a good job by being this like <laughs> this random kind of arrogant, whimsical, passive-aggressive asshole. And like Adam Page is like walking around looking like the sad cowboy who has kind of lost his way but is still really good at what he does. I just, I'm super stoked about it. We move on to uh, John Moxley pretty much retaliating to Lance Archer's video package earlier. And boy, howdy. It was absolutely incredible. This was like, man, it was like an episode of Breaking Bad or something. Like, I just kept thinking of Breaking Bad throughout this entire video package. It was so fucking good. I loved the way it was filmed. Moxley's promo, like, it might have been the best that I've ever heard. It was so insane. Um, His reign as AEW champion has just been absolute perfection. And, like, dude, I totally see why he was named, like, number one in the world with PW Insider. Like, that is so crazy to me. And, like, he just, he proved it. That final line was just top-notch. Basically, oh, man, he talked about how he'd do anything for this AEW championship. And John Moxley always says, like, you can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Like, he always likes to say that. And, you know, Lance Archer's, like, go to his catchphrase is, everybody dies. And, you know, John Moxley is here, just cut the promo of his, damn life sitting at a bar and he's like well just like you say Lance because you know he Moxley basically talks about like this could be it for him like this could be the match where he loses because you know everybody has to do it sometime he's like everybody has to ride off into the sunset and then he like looks at the camera and he's like just like you say Lance everybody dies and he takes a shot and I'm just like oh oh my goodness so poetic so great the the film lover the the poetry lover the guy who loves stories inside of me was just like standing up golf clapping. It was absolutely phenomenal. Now, we get to the end of the episode, and we have Jericho and Hager in a tag team match against Luther and Sir Pentico. Um, I forget the name of their tag team, to be completely honest. But uh, honestly, this was like a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I've never seen uh, Luther and Sir Pentico as a tag team, and it was honestly kind of good. Um, Luther had a really, really good showing in this match. He was really the superstar out of the four of them that really shined during this bout. Uh, wasn't a bad match at all. It was really, really good. Jericho gets the win with the Judas effect to Luther. Um, you know, there's some celebra- celebratory stuff happening in the ring. Jericho's about to do his thing. You know, it's it's 30 years of Jericho. We've been hearing about it all night. We've been seeing it all night. Jericho grabs a microphone, and I'm excited. He's about to do his thing. He's probably going to cut some heartfelt promo about being in the business for 30 years. It's going to be fantastic. But before he can, he gets interrupted by MJF, who comes down to the ring with uh, Wardlow and someone in, like, a blanket, like someone who has, like, a sheet over top of them. And it's obviously a clown. We can see his big, gawky, stupid shoes. (laughs) We just don't know what's going to happen. MJF basically says, hey, congratulations on 30 years. I got you some gifts to celebrate this amazing moment. Well, it was a little bit awkward 
because he was like, let's unveil gift number one. And Wardlow starts to take the blanket, the sheet, off of the clown. And MJF starts counting back from three. <laughs> and I thought it was really funny because Wardlow was like, okay, let me just slow down for a second. And then MJF counts backwards and boom, there's a clown. And it's uh, MJF called him Jericho. I, do, I don't remember, but it was really stupid. And it was really, in my opinion, like a backhanded insult. Like MJF insulted Chris Jericho by basically calling him a clown. And I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. It was it was so weird because it MJF was trying to rub off as the type of supportive person who's being thoughtful and celebratory on this grand occasion of 30 years of someone's career. But in reality, he was being an asshole. And I thought it was presented very, very well. And it was actually kind of smart. He says, that's not all. This clown is holding something, correct? And it looks like a picture wrapped up in a wrapping paper. And Chris Jericho's like, what's that? And MJF goes, unwrap it. And it's a, it's a framed photo of MJF in all of his glory, which is very superficial and very self-centered and makes MJF look bad in a good way. It was, uh, it was great. It, it kind of seemed the entire time that he was jabbing Chris Jericho rather than saying, hey, congratulations on 30 years. Um, Chris Jericho gets frustrated, takes the picture of MJF, hits it on the clown's head, you know, classic cartoon-esque frame-over-the-body situation, and then hits the clown with the nastiest Judas effect I've ever seen. Like, if they all looked that nasty, it would be incredible. It was so sudden, and, like, that clown sold the shit out of it, dude. It looked absolutely brutal and you think right here at the very end that Chris Jericho is about to like go off on MJF and then he's just like nah it's all right you're you're okay in my book well ladies and gentlemen have a good night thank you for 30 years and then the credits roll and every name is Chris Jericho director Chris Jericho producer Chris Jericho written by Chris Jericho starring 30 Chris Jerichos it was absolutely phenomenal Chris Jericho is waving at the camera. Everybody's walking down to the ring. They're all popping a little bit of the bubbly. It's it's fantastic. It was great. It was just a very, very Jericho way for the show to end. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Chris Jericho is, man, like I said a moment ago, the greatest of all time. And it's it's solely based on three things, in my opinion. First of all, his longevity. 30 years in the business is impressive, but 30 years at his caliber is even more impressive. You have to look at someone, and I'm, I'm only going to touch on this for a moment because I don't want to spoil my future, like, episode dedicated to Chris Jericho and stuff like that, but, like, you have to look at Chris Jericho's 30 years and realize that there never was a moment where, like, the ball was dropped or something that should not have happened happened. So that's number one, just... 30 years of captivating greatness. Number two, his ability to reinvent himself. Every single time Chris Jericho has debuted or returned, he has been a different entity that he has played and created wholeheartedly. It's just absolutely impressive, just the ability to stay relevant. And of course, number three for me is just how good he is at what he does. 
He's incredible with the microphone. He's dedicated in the ring. He's always been captivating. He's the one true rock star of professional wrestling. And 30 years is insane. Like, that's longer than I've been alive. And most of my years as a professional wrestling fan have been invested in Chris Jericho. I was I was there for a lot of everything. I was there at the end of WCW when he was. I was there watching television the night he debuted in WWE when the Millennium Clock was counting down from 10 and he came out against The Rock. I was there every single time he came back after that. It's just been a hell of a ride, and Chris Jericho is amazing. Um, on the beard scale, this was a solid episode of AEW Dynamite, like it always is, like it always seems to be. This one gets a beard that just made the list. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, of course, with the end of AEW Dynamite, we move into our final discussion for this episode of Babblemania, and that is SmackDown. This is the October 9th edition of Friday Night SmackDown, and this is the first WWE draft. So they talked about it on Raw. The draft is coming. Here it is. It's going to be happening this Friday on SmackDown. And I always love the draft because it's either really, really good or it's really, really bad. There's usually, like, never an in-between. Um, it's always a great topic to talk about because, like, there's always something to talk about. Always. Because you either have, like, crazy drafts that make a lot of sense and you're just like, whoa, that's shocking. And then you have the choices that, does, that like, make no sense at all. And that's also something you can talk about. So... This was the first night of the WWE draft. The second night is going to be this Monday on the upcoming episode of Raw tomorrow. Uh, to, if you're listening on the day of, it's tomorrow's episode of Monday Night Raw. But we start things off with a discussion with round one of the draft. So it goes as listed. Raw chooses WWE champion Drew McIntyre. SmackDown chooses Universal champion Roman Reigns, Raw chooses Raw Women's Champion, Asuka, and the Hurt Business goes to Monday Night Raw, and Seth Rollins moves to Friday Night SmackDown. Now, this is what's crazy. So, it makes sense that the respective brands would choose their champions. Uh, they did announce before the draft started that if someone who is champion gets drafted, to the other promotion that their titles go with them, which I think is super interesting. So I like the fact that Raw was like, okay, well, we're going to keep our champion. SmackDown was like, okay, we're going to keep our champion, and that's the way it's going to be. Um, big brains, respective brands, paying homage to that, that's a good thing. Uh, the Hurt Business staying on Raw makes sense because, you know, we're probably going to see them in a pretty big program with Retribution now. Um, unless something crazy happens and Retribution gets drafted to SmackDown. I don't know. It'd be super weird if that happened. But the big one here was Seth Rollins moving to SmackDown. First of all, he's going to lose his moniker, the Monday Night Messiah. That's kind of a bummer. But there's so many potential feuds that could come from this. Like, can you imagine Seth Rollins and The Fiend, you know, brushing shoulders again? And maybe this time it absolutely doesn't go to shit like this time it actually makes sense and it's done properly um i would also 
really like to see Seth Rollins maybe go into some type of program with Roman Reigns. I think that would be really good. But we'll just have to see what happens. Um, the big thing for me about Seth moving to SmackDown is once it was announced, it made me go, hmm, I wonder if anyone of interest will follow, you know, like Murphy or maybe the Mysterios. But we will talk about it later. We digress from the draft and we move on to the first match of the night, which is a Falls Count Anywhere match between Big E and Sheamus. Now, Big E has been great since he's been, you know, pushed into the world of singles competition. Um, I really like what they've been doing with him. Sheamus has been, in my opinion, super bad since he came back uh, a few months ago. And I don't mean super bad as in, like, awesome. I mean super bad as in, like, I, I'm not a fan of it at all. This match, however, was very, very good. This was a brutal Falls Count Anywhere match. It was actually the most brutal thing that I've seen in a while from WWE television. Um, I don't know what fueled them to do this, but they did it, and it was very, very good. There were some nasty spots. Uh, the end of the match ended in, like, a parking lot uh, or a parking area, and we saw Big E take a really nasty spot, some uh, a really nasty white noise on the top of a car, which is what put him out last time we saw this type of incident. Uh, we saw him get thrown into a trunk where we assumed that Sheamus was going to, like, sever his arm <laughs> with the trunk of the car. Uh, he stopped it, kicked Sheamus in the face. Sheamus went for a bro kick. Big E moved out of the way, and he kicked the trunk off the hinges, which I thought was awesome. And then we basically see Big E hit the big ending on Sheamus off of a car onto a table to get the victory. Uh, the big thing here is that, A, his singles push is furthered until, afterwards, B, Kofi Kingston and Xavier come back, and the New Day is once again back together. And I was super stoked about it. I love the New Day. Like, probably one of the greatest factions of all time. They have been nothing but, like, straight rainbows and unicorns since becoming a thing. And it's just really good to see them back together. I know how close they are in real life, so it felt good to see them on television again. But here's the thing. I know that Big E was beaten up, and I know that he was battered, but am I the only one who seemed to notice that he maybe have been a little eh upon their return? I don't know if it's just me or not, but like it just it seemed like he wasn't really feeling it. And of course, he was beaten up, he was bruised, he was battered, so maybe it makes sense, I don't know. But this also raised another question. You know, is Big E going to get drafted and be torn apart from his homies? Are they going to be drafted, torn apart from their homies? It just, it instantly popped into my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the draft night. So, I don't know. Uh, we move on to a nice little segment between Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. Jay comes down to the ring. Doesn't really get to say much before he's cut off by Paul Heyman on the big screen. Uh, but in my opinion, Jay doesn't really need to say much. Uh, Paul Heyman essentially says, Jay, this is not your decision, nor is it mine. This is all based on what Roman wants and when he wants to do things. And then we get a little, you know, promo from Roman Reigns, and he basically announces that at Hell in a Cell, his match with Jay for the title is an I Quit match. Um, I don't know. This is just, it's so good because we're seeing 
we're seeing the bloodline between the two of them fade away, and we're seeing the hate between the two of them grow. Jay is going into this looking like a major underdog, and Roman just looks like a punishing... He's a heel that I've never really seen before. It's so hard to explain. It's like he's he's blinded by his own light or something. I don't know. I think it's going to unravel more and more as the months go by. At least I hope it does. But he's just going into this looking like a punishing champion. Um, the only thing that I wonder is, before Hell in a Cell comes along, are we going to see Jay get the upper hand? Like, are we going to get to see Jay stand tall over a fallen Roman Reigns before their big match at Hell in a Cell? And how brutal is this going to be? Is this I Quit match going to be nuts? Like, I can't wait. Super excited. Um, after last year's Hell in a Cell, this one has to be good. We'll talk about that. at a, at a, Everybody knows exactly what I'm referring to as well. The Hell in a Cell match between Seth Rollins and The Fiend just, like, killed the entire pay-per-view almost. Uh, so this, this Hell in a Cell has to be great. Um, we move on to round two of the draft. And once again... The list goes as follows. AJ Styles is moving to Monday Night Raw. Sasha Banks is staying on SmackDown. Naomi is going to Monday Night Raw. SmackDown picks up Bianca Belair. And Jax and Baszler, your women's tag team champions, are staying on Monday Night Raw. Now, this is a big one for me because this is AJ leaving Friday Night SmackDown and going to Monday Night Raw. Um, he's going to have three hours to shine instead of two, and I just wonder what they're going to do with him. Um, I'm assuming that maybe they'll throw him into a program for a title, like right off the bat. I don't, I don't know. The draft is so, it's interesting, it's a little bit fun, but it always makes you wonder who can we see these people go up against now that they're on a different band? What titles can we see these people fight for? Maybe we'll get AJ Styles inserted into the WWE Championship picture with Drew McIntyre. Maybe we'll see him go after a smaller title like the United States Championship. I don't know, but super excited to see what AJ does when he gets to Raw. Um, very excited that Naomi is going to Raw because, like I've said, female singles competitors, they need them, and Naomi is fantastic and very underused, so hopefully she'll do her thing. And I really, really love that Bianca Belair is like coming to Friday Night SmackDown. Like, Bianca is such a good talent. She actually reminds me a lot of Naomi. Um, I think Bianca Belair is going to do big things in the company. I really hope she does. I think this is great uh, for us, the viewers, the fans, and for her, the performer. Uh, hopefully they don't biff it. We move on to this makeshift tag team match that happened because of Twitter. It's The Miz and Morrison uh, against Matt Hardy and... Matt Hardy against Jeff Hardy and Matt Riddle or as we like to call them on Twitter Jeff came up with this broetry in motion which I actually think is really good um, this was just like a random makeshift tag team match that happened it was fun it was nothing flashy I'm glad that Hardy and Riddle got the win because I literally give like zero dams about the Miz and Morrison if I'm being completely honest but the big thing about this segment was Lars Sullivan making his return. Uh, Lars Sullivan, in my opinion, was getting a major push before an injury happened. And it sucks, because I think he was on the verge of like something fantastic. But 
He's back now. His music hits. He comes down to that ring, and he just lays waste to everybody. He just, he does what he does best. He looks like this big, freakish monster who just lays everybody out. He reminds me of, like, Gene Snitsky, but, like, you can actually take him seriously. And he also reminds me of, like, the big wrestlers from, like, the golden era of professional wrestling, like the 60s and the 70s. Um, I think Lars Sullivan has major potential. I don't know where he's going to end up. Uh, Stephanie McMahon afterwards announced that he's thrown into the draft pool to be taking place on Monday Night Raw, so we'll see where he ends up. I'd really, honestly, like to see Lars Sullivan and Drew McIntyre duke it out. I think that would be great. Um, I'd like to see him maybe in some type of program with uh, Keith Lee. I think that would be fantastic. But super glad that he's back. I hope that this time around he he gets the chance to shine like he was supposed to originally. Uh, with that being said, we move into round three of the draft. And this was a big one um, for a lot of reasons, and I'll talk about them. Ricochet stays on Monday Night Raw. Jay Uso stays on SmackDown. Mandy Rose stays on Monday Night Raw. Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio move to SmackDown, while Miz and Morrison move to Monday Night Raw. Now, this was probably the most, like, this was like the, I don't know how to word this. It's definitely not the most interesting round of draft picks, because we're getting to that one. But this one has a lot of talking points. Uh, Ricochet staying on Raw felt super unnecessary. Like, it's weird to me how they highlight certain superstars. Like, a lot of these draft picks feel like... What's the word I'm looking for? They're hollow. Like, I don't care that Ricochet is staying on Raw. Like, he doesn't have the stock around him for me to be like, ooh, Ricochet staying on Raw. That's great. That's interesting. It just doesn't make sense to me. Jay being announced as, you know, someone staying on SmackDown, that also felt wasted because, duh, it's obvious. Like, Jay is in a program with the Universal Champion who was just announced earlier that he's staying on SmackDown. So why why have Jay Uso's name thrown in there? Mandy being announced that she's staying on Raw, that also doesn't make sense because just three weeks ago, it was all, oh, Mandy Rose is going to Raw. Mon Monday Night Mandy. Uh, Mandy, Mandy Night Raw. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, you literally made video packages talking about her making the move to Monday Night Raw. Why have her in this draft pick? Didn't make sense to me. Now, Ray and Dom coming to SmackDown is big because it answers my question from earlier. When Seth Rollins was announced as a new SmackDown member, I was like, I wonder who's going to follow. The fact that Ray and Dominic follow him is great, and I absolutely love it. And it's, it's awesome because it's almost as if Ray... Or it's almost as if Seth was, like, stoked to get away from the Mysterio family, and now we know that he isn't. We know that it's just going to continue, and I think that's awesome. Uh, can't wait to see what happens there. And then, of course, Miz and Morrison moving to Raw, for me, is just like, well, uh-oh, what's happening with Otis? First of all, Mandy moves to Raw, leaving her precious Otis back on SmackDown, and now... We have, in Miz and, we have Miz and Morrison moving to Raw. They're not going to do anything but harass Mandy Rose, I'm pretty sure. We'll have to see where that goes, but I feel bad for Otis. But once again, 
we will come back to the draft. Right now, we move on to, in my opinion, the stupidest moment on this episode of SmackDown. Both of WWE's programs this week had something that I highly disagreed with. On Monday Night Raw, it was the Braun Strowman and Keith Lee exhibition match debacle. On this episode of SmackDown, it was this random bullshit, in my opinion, situation with Sasha and Bayley. We have a match right now. Sasha Banks versus Bayley for the SmackDown women's title. First of all, this is a random episode of SmackDown. I know that it's the draft and you want us to take it seriously, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely not. First of all, it's just the draft. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a night. That is proven by most of the picks that you've given us. Examples, Ricochet, Mandy Rose. Like, seriously, it's not that big of a deal. Secondly, this feud has not been as good as the build-up to the feud was. But why give us this match on a random episode of SmackDown, especially if you're going to have it end the way that it ended? It was literally not even seven minutes into the match, and Bailey gets herself disqualified. Like, that is so fucking pointless to me. Like, you could have built this up a little bit more. You could have made this match something that we craved, something that we wanted at, like, hell in a cell. We all know that this program is going to go for a while. Why not give them the chance to better this program and make us super interested? That's all I'm asking. Uh, Bailey got herself disqualified. That, to me, explains exactly why it shouldn't have even happened. Like, it should have been a better segment. It, it could have been Sasha coming down to the ring, cutting a great promo, Bailey interrupting, the both of them getting into a huge brawl, which is what happened anyways, and then Sasha grabbing a microphone and saying, you know what, I'm over this, you and me, hell in a cell, that title is coming home with me. That's how this should have gone. This match was a waste of time. It was a waste of a SmackDown title match. I just, I didn't understand it at all. Um, this has to get better. It's, it's so weird to me how amazing the build-up to the falling out was, but how bad the falling out has been. It's like they, they fumbled or something. I don't know, but before I throw this microphone to the moon and back, I'm going to move on to the biggest moment of the night. Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura defending their SmackDown Tag Team titles against the returning New Day in Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Now, at first, I didn't understand this. I was like, damn, the New Day literally just got back, and they're already being handed a title opportunity. Because inside, I was like, that's kind of whack. But it makes sense, because they never really got the chance to get their rematch. As, you, as we all know, if there's a title match, and the title changes hands, the person who lost their title is entitled to a rematch. It almost happens all the time. <laughs> um, they didn't get that moment because Kofi got hurt and had to like lay out for a while. Plus, Xavier's been hurt this entire time. So it made sense that they got their rematch tonight. Corey Graves made a really... Corey Graves made it his duty during this match to talk about how the New Day did not deserve this tag team match because they literally just got back and they jumped in front of everybody. But you also have to take into consideration that Cesaro and Shinsuke, like, don't seem like a threat. It's a shame that they don't feel like a threat, especially after the huge win they got over the New Day to get the titles. But 
their run really hasn't been anything grand. So it makes sense that they would want the New Day to come straight back into a match and walk away with the titles, baby. The New Day, they get the win. It's just a feel-good moment. They're back on the top. Uh, We all know that they carry these championships perfectly. Like, the New Day is entertaining in itself. But as champions, whether one of them has a belt or all three of them have a belt or just two of them are tag team champions, it's always, like, turned up to 20 when they have belts around their waist. I'm super-duper excited. We bleed straight into round four of the draft and it is announced right off the bat that Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods are taking the SmackDown titles to Raw while Big E is being drafted and staying to SmackDown. And that's huge. This was the big draft moment of the night, and I am super fucking sad about it. I don't know what this means. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, Ripperoni. New Day, I, I don't know because I I, man, I just I felt like it was going to happen because like like I talked about earlier, Big E didn't really seem to be like as stoked when the New Day came back. Um, you know, he seemed a little out there. He seemed a little yes, he was bruised and he was battered because of his match with Sheamus, but he seemed kind of like meh, and I didn't know why. And in my brain, because I fantasy book a lot it just planted the seed that maybe something bad was going to happen. Like maybe he would turn on Xavier and Kofi. But the look on Big E's face when Stephanie announced that Kofi and Xavier were going to Raw and he was staying on SmackDown was the exact same look on his face he had when Kofi and Xavier approached him in the back and you know they were being all brotherly and family-oriented. So... Maybe Big E already knew about the draft. Maybe he had some inside information. Maybe he saw it before anybody else saw it. But it seems to me that Big E knew what was going to happen. And it was kind of sad. It was really sad. Just the looks on their faces when they were standing in the ring, just knowing that like New Day is over, really, really bums me out. I don't know if it's true. I don't know how they're going to finagle their way around this. Um... I always hoped that big I always hoped that New Day's end would be almost like the Shields, like somebody turning their back, but not as aggressive. You know, because when the Shield came to an end, it was this team that everybody was really really standing behind and one of them turning heel in a very very dastardly way. But what I've always wanted with the New Day was something sad. You know, like somebody doing something because that they were f- like because they were forced to do it almost. And like it's it's not something that makes you angry, it's something that makes you like cry, I guess you could say. Cuz like when Seth Rollins hit Roman Reigns in the back with that chair and turned on his brothers, it was like, "Wow, screw that guy." But what I've always wanted with the New Day would be like Big E turning his back on like Kofi because someone was like metaphorically like holding a gun to his head and he's like teary-eyed and he's emotional and he's like I didn't want to do this but I had to but I don't know it's it's weird to me because in my opinion if you were going 
to split the new day up, in quotations, it would be something massive like that. Because let's be honest, at this point in time, they're probably the greatest faction of all time, given their track record, how much merch they've sold, how much of an impact they've made on the business, how successful that they've become. Like, they're, they're probably the biggest faction slash team in the company right now. So you would think that a measly little draft wouldn't be what tears them apart. And because of that, I think that there is something that is going to be uncovered. I think this is the beginning of a, of a story for the New Day, and I really can't wait to see where it goes. Um, moving on to the rest of the picks, Dana Brooks stays on Raw, whoop de doo um, Otis stays on SmackDown. That bums me out because Otis is officially, like, by himself. You know, his, his precious peach is not with him. Mandy, his mortal enemies, Miz and Morrison, are moving to Raw. Like, I don't know what they have planned for Otis um, because of this, but we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Garza stays on Raw. Once again, whoop-de-doo. All of this needs to start making more sense, in my opinion. And hopefully, with Monday night's draft, we'll get that. Uh, round four was the last draft of the night for this episode of SmackDown. Um... That's pretty much is it as far as the draft goes. Uh, we'll have to wait until Monday, which means you guys will have to wait until next Sunday for that episode of Babblemania to really see the conclusion of the WWE draft. Uh, we move on to the announcement from Sasha, what should have happened a lot better, in a, in a better way, in my opinion. She pretty much cuts a very, very, very convicted promo and says Bailey, you and me hell in a cell I'm taking your title that baby's going to be mine it was her best promo so far since the falling out hella conviction super stoked, the last time we saw Sasha Banks in a hell in a cell match was with Becky Lynch if I'm not mistaken and it was fan-fucking-tastic it was like it was probably one of the best women's wrestling matches I've ever seen. And it was actually a very good Hell in a Cell match. Um, so hopefully it'll be just as good. Um, now, we move on to the final segment of the night. And I'm, I'm, I'm just as happy about it as I was upset about it. So it's been pushed for a week now. Kevin Owens versus The Fiend. Once again, this is just the WWE draft. It's not a big episode of SmackDown. It's nothing crazy. But, like, in my opinion, man, you just can't be using The Fiend all willy-nilly on an episode of SmackDown. Like, for me, The Fiend has always been this special character that does not need to pop up all the time. And for some reason, WWE just does not understand that. Um, I disagree with them using The Fiend all hibbly-bibbly on a random episode of SmackDown. But I'll never get over seeing his entrance and seeing him walk down to the ring. It's always a freaking spectacle. Just, you gotta love it. Um, I really, really liked Alexa approaching Kevin while he's in the back, putting tape on his wrist and saying, like, looking dead into his eyes and saying, let him in before his match. I thought that was super cool. Um, I'm loving, loving this story. It's the best thing in the company right now, in my opinion. No doubt about it. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know where it's going to end up, but in my opinion, that's like the best thing about it. Because every single time I think that it's going to go somewhere, it goes somewhere else, and it's just as interesting. 
So that's a good thing. Um, Fiend makes his way down to the ring. Kevin Owens comes down to the ring. This match starts off with a bang. They go at it, and this match was actually really, really, really good. I actually think this might be the best Fiend match to date. Um, I thought his match with Daniel Bryan at whatever pay-per-view event that was was really good. Um, I actually think that Bray Wyatt as Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt, I think his match with The Miz was really good. But as far as Fiend matches goes, I think this might have been the best showing from The Fiend. Um, It was really, really good. It was super-duper intense. There were some great spots. Him and Kevin have really awesome chemistry, which is very good to know. Um, Obviously, The Fiend gets the win. Bro, I am living for the mandible claw that goes into, like, a claw slam. (laughs) Like, a uranagi, essentially. Like, he locks in the mandible claw, and then he delivers a uranagi with his hand still in his opponent's mouth. I think that's super fucking brutal and very effective. I hope they keep doing that. The first time we saw it happen was in his match with Daniel Bryan, and, like, we haven't seen it since, but we saw it on Kevin Owens. Fantastic. Um, you know, the Fiend gets his wind. It's it's all great. He disappears. Lights go out. He reappears at the top of the ramp, and him and Alexa are just staring at each other. And then they both look at Kevin, and then there's, like, a little bit of a smirk, and then they look back at each other, and that's the episode. And I think it was super-duper awesome. And... It makes me wonder, and like this is once again some fantasy booking, are we, and this is just crazy, and I could be very wrong, and I could sound like a fool right now, is is The Fiend controlling Alexa? Or is Alexa controlling The Fiend? Ooh, there we go. It instantaneously just got interesting. Very excited to see where it goes. Can't wait to see what the draft has in store for us on Monday. I'm actually thinking that there's probably going to be some big major picks on Monday Night Raw as opposed to only the handful of crazy picks that were on SmackDown, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, This was a solid episode of SmackDown with a lackluster draft, if I'm being honest. I think the whole New Day splitting up thing, it goes beyond the draft. The draft in itself was a little bit lackluster, but it kind of always is. On the beard scale, uh, this... This episode of SmackDown gets a beard that grows by the power of positivity, baby. R.I.P. The New Day. Um, I hope, I hope that this is just some storyline that ends with them finding a way back together. But we will have to wait and see. Um, and that's all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Babylonia. Thank you for sitting through me rambling about professional wrestling as always i will talk to you next time hell in a cell is upon us predictions and a reaction episode coming soon wwe draft monday night raw edition coming soon i'll holler at you guys next week i'm so bad at goodbyes i do this every freaking episode i just ramble when i should literally just say goodbye to you guys anyways follow me on instagram at babblemania thank you for listening to me babble Big smooches. Mwah. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling.